Father God, we just thank You for Your Word. Thank You, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that by the Spirit of the Lord, we go from glory to glory to glory. And I just thank You, according to Colossians 1.13, that we are rescued from the powers of darkness. Darkness tries to get us and hold us and keep us down, but You rescue us from that darkness. And we just rest in You today, Lord, according to Psalm 37 and 7. We wait patiently on You because You are a help and You are our strength, and we thank You for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today's title is Do It Again. Because if He has, then He will. He being God. If He has, then He will. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Are you excited? Are you ready? This is going to really help you today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Start in verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Isn't that a good thing to, to... aim for. We don't want to be uninformed. We don't want to be ignorant. We don't want you to be uninformed about the hardships that we've suffered in the province of Asia. How many know that walking with God is not always the mountaintops? Sometimes there are valleys. It is poor biblical scholarship of us to say that Christianity will never have inconvenience and never be without challenge. And yes, we trust God. And no, we're not believing for problems. And no, we're not believing for uh, sickness. And no, we're not believing for hardships. But ask anybody in the room. Sometimes life happens. And so this, this is what Paul's talking about. We do not want you to be uninformed about the hardships we've suffered. He was suffering persecution for the Lord. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even life. This is the great man of faith, the great Apostle Paul, who would lay hands on the blind and they would see, who would who would preach so long that someone would fall out of a window and die, and then he would go down and raise him from the dead. This is the great man of faith and power who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, there are days that I did not even want to live. Times were perilous, treacherous. There are days I didn't want to get out of bed. We despaired even life itself. Look at verse 9. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Have you ever felt like, is anything going to turn out right? Is anything gonna, gonna ever be right for me and work out for me? We felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but that we might rely on God. I love it when people say, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. I mean, no, we should pray first. It's not, well, I guess all we've got left is prayer. Prayer should be the thing we start with. Do you remember Jonah? You all remember Jonah in the Bible? He was in the well for three days and then he prayed. I believe if Jonah had prayed, he would not have been in the well. (laughs) Don't wait for three days in the belly of the well to pray. It says here in verse 10, He has delivered us. I want you to see a pattern. We're talking this morning about do it again. Do it again. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. God has a habit of repeating Himself. I like to review I like to repeat myself. I want to make sure you're getting it. How long are you going to preach this till you get it? Can I have an amen? I like to review. I like to repeat myself. So does God. He has delivered us and He will continue. Notice the pattern where God likes to repeat Himself. It says, on Him we've set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. He has and He will do it again. As I begin to write this message and study this, I, I thought really the Lord was going to take me down the road of 
of some trials that maybe you've had in this year and how we can really trust the Lord to redeem you from that. And that is true. So I want to say that because I think that's that's a part of this message. But the Lord began to take me down an entire different road. I had this entire thing mapped out, ready to go. And then last night at about 8 o'clock, the Lord decides that He wanted to drop something else in my heart. And I asked the Lord, I said, why Why now? Why at 8 o'clock? He said, because you've been so busy this week that you've not had time to listen. If you would have listened on Monday, I would have told you on Monday. So yours truly was up at 12.30 last night working on this because the Lord was giving me revelation. I said, okay, Lord, I will listen closer <laughs> through the week next time because I don't like this 12.30 on Saturday. You decide you want to change this great message I had planned. I, I had my great message planned. Who are you to come in and change this? And, and so he began to really, really just uh, to change this and to, to, to take this down a different road. Do it again. Many Christians believe that God has done great things and that God has done great wonders in times past. We can look around the globe today and see the fingerprints of things God has done. But how many of us believe that God is going to do something great again? We see the revivals and the great awakenings we're going to talk about in the past and in our history. We see the tremendous moves of God in other countries. And we believe God has done great things. But do we really believe that God is going to do great things? Not only God is going to do great things, but He's going to do great things in me. He's going to do great things through me. He's going to do great things in Rick and Susan. He's going to do great things through this church. Do we really believe that what God has done, He will do again? So I began to just read last night about some of the revivals and some of the awakenings that our nation has seen. Now, Pastor Michael loves this stuff. He eats this stuff for breakfast. He loves this. And so it's a shame he's not here. He'll have to listen to the podcast, but he knows these revivals at a much greater level than I do. I don't pretend to know all the history, but I want to just bring you to an awareness this morning of some things that have happened in our history that allowed you to be sitting where you are. It's not an accident that in 2017, on the last day of the year, you have the opportunity to sit in a Spirit-filled church that praises and worships the Lord and gives the Holy Spirit freedom to move and change lives. It's not an accident that you don't have a dry, dead religion. It's not an accident that we are able to experience all the fullness that God offers and the, it started back in 1730 in the Great Awakening. I believe you'll see this on the screen. Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield. Now, we don't agree with them uh, all in their theology, but God really used them to bring thousands and thousands to Christ. The gospel began to spread like wildfire through the colonies of, of America. And it's estimated that in, the, in that year, in 1730 and on, and into the 40s, that nearly 80% of all Americans in the American colonies heard the message of George Whitefield, and thousands were born again. This was the first great awakening. It had been a very dark period in, in religion, been a very dark period in, in even in Europe for, for walking with God. And then we see the second great awakening. This went on into the 1800s and it went from 1800 to 1840. And we see great men like Charles Finney who would eventually convert, listen, he would convert 500,000 people to the Lord. Through his preaching, 500,000 people came to the Lord. It's recorded that in one year in Rochester, New York. And it was in the year, I believe, it was 1831. A hundred thousand people came to know Christ because of the message of Charles Finney in the early 1800s. Can you see how God was pushing a pattern? You go on down to 1857 and there's a businessman's revival. 
there began to be a group of people who became so uh, concerned about the spiritual decline of America that they began to pray. They felt like worldliness was creeping into the culture. Does that sound like today? They felt like churches were losing people and a number of Christians had become... Uh, just just invaded with materialism and, and, and the economy was beginning to boom and, and they began to pray and concerts of prayer began to spring up all over the nation and throughout all the United States and there were more than one million people led to the Lord because of the businessman's revival. They started out with, with, day, with weekly meetings and it moved to daily meetings and hundreds were coming every day to pray and to seek the Lord. Then there was the Civil War movement, uh, which, which we see about 300,000 uh, soldiers born again. And then in 1875, Dwight Moody steps into history. Dwight Moody would preach in Britain and the British Isles, and he would preach to 2.5 million people. This is in the 1800s. 2.5 million people would hear the message of the great evangelist. There is one of the greatest in history. And, and he said, I'm going to go back to my homeland in America and bring this message. And he took revival to the biggest cities in America. And hundreds and thousands of people were born again and converted because of Dwight Moody and his obedience to the Lord. Gosh, that's, you know, 200 years ago. Look at this. Uh, we turn down to the 20th century. And, and we see revival hitting the United Kingdom. Again, America begins to decline spiritually. But in the United Kingdom, God is doing something amazing. There's an incredible revival called the Welsh Revival. And, and there's a tremendous movement. And, and what happened is folks that were in America heard, got word of the revival, and it began to spread here. Now cities like Brooklyn, and we see Michigan and Denver, Nebraska, North and South Carolina, Georgia and Kentucky begin to light up on fire for the Lord. This is in the early 1900s. And then we go on down and we see Billy Sunday. Have you ever heard the name Billy Sunday? He was a man that would step into history and literally change history. He's a key figure in our Christianity movement. He preached to more than 100 million people. In 1905, he preached to 100 million people. And it's estimated that he had well over a million conversions in his ministry. Somebody say, do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. And so this leads us to uh, 1906 where uh, there's a man named William J. Seymour. And he went to Los Angeles to audition for a church. And he preached one time and then they locked him out of the second service. They didn't like his preaching. And so they said, no, thank you. You're not our man. And so he went down the road to a house there in Los Angeles and began to pray and began to hold prayer meetings. And this is in 1906 and the Spirit of God began to move and they called it the second blessing. The gifts of the Holy Spirit began to move and manifest again. And eventually the crowds became so large that they had to buy a Methodist church on Azusa Street, 312 Azusa Street, where daily for three years, three years, the Spirit of God was being poured out in a mighty way. And for three years, they had this great revival and daily meetings. That Azusa Street revival sparked the Pentecostal movement. We are here today, the Pentecostal charismatic movement, because of the Azusa Street revival. And he was shut down from a church. He could have got disappointed and went home. But he said, I'm going to go and pray. God's given me a message. God's given me a word. He preached racial reconciliation. Doesn't that sound like something we need today? He preached the restoration of biblical spiritual gifts. 
And this revival just began to blossom and begin to bloom. And, and then we go past World War II and we see healing revivals. We see the great healing evangelist. Catherine Coleman comes on the scene and people are beginning to be healed. And, and then Bill Bright. Have you ever heard of Bill Bright? He began Campus Crusaders for Christ. And, and this is in the 1950s. And in 1979, they had a, a, a launch of a film called The Jesus Film. Have you ever heard of the Jesus film or seen the Jesus film? Listen to the stats on the Jesus film. There have been over 4 billion, with a B, 4 billion people in 645 languages in 235 countries see the Jesus film. It started with a dream. It started with a vision. It started with an idea. Started with someone daring enough to take the next steps. There have been over 400 million documented conversions to Christ through Campus Crusaders with Christ, Bill Bright, and the Jesus film. Can we say praise God? But see, that was in the 50s. That's not really helping us today. People are still being led to the Lord. I'm not demeaning what that's doing now, but, but that wave has seemed to, to subside. So Billy Graham steps on the scene. Everybody's heard of Billy Graham. Billy Graham preached to 180 million people in over 400 crusades and many more millions viewed his message on TV. Now we're using TV to spread the gospel, the message. And then we see in the 70s the charismatic renewal. Some of you were a part of that. And then we see the Jesus movement. Do we have any hippies that were a part of the Jesus movement? Turn away from drugs and all the illicit things that are bad for you and, and go after the Bible. And then we, we move into the 90s and we begin to see the Toronto Blessing and, and Florida, the great revival down in Brownsville and up the coast. It's estimated that over 100,000 people were born again in two years in Florida. It's amazing. And then we begin to see Promise Keepers. How many of you have ever heard of Promise Keepers? The coach, I just watched a documentary with George the other day. The, the coach from Colorado uh, left his football team and began to preach. And that first year, like 4,000 and some change came. Uh, by the end, in 1997, there was a million men gathered because of one man's dream and one man's vision. A million men gathered in Washington. And now it's, it's estimated that Promise Keepers has reached over 6 million men for the Lord Jesus. And it started with a football coach who gave up coaching to invest in men. Somebody say, do it again. Do it again. So here's my question. That, that is a very, very short, brief history of where we are today and how we arrived here. But my question is, does God want to have another great awakening in our lifetime or have we gone too far have we have we went to the point of no return the question is there and it's valid i believe god is stirring and god is moving and god wants another great awakening and i believe the lord has given me some keys that will help us be in position for god to do it again why can't we see that in our city why can't we see that in our church why can't we see that in my family one man with one idea reaches a half million people. Why can't God use a small church on a hill up in East Knoxville to change the world for Jesus Christ? I believe that He can. So if, if we're going to see the Lord do something powerful in our day, in 2018, in our lifetime, there's some things that we have to answer. The psalmist prayed in Psalm 85, 6, Will you yourself not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And that's the heart of God. I believe it with all my heart. So look at Acts chapter 2. I want you to go 
with me to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 14. I want you to see this this morning. But Peter taking his stand with the eleven. This is after the day of Pentecost had fully come. God had given the Holy Spirit. When we say we want revival, what we're talking about is we want to... The, the revival started in Acts chapter 2. The move of God started in Acts chapter 2. And over the centuries, the church has lost that fervor and that power. And we want to go back to what the Lord was doing in the book of Acts. And so Peter stands up after the Holy Spirit just is released in the earth. And it says, uh, he began to raise his voice. And it says, men of Judea. And all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. How many of you know when God is speaking, we need to give heed? That word in the Greek language means to perk up your ears, to give attention. Have you ever seen a, a, an animal or a dog when you come home and it, it, it hears something and it perks up its ears? We need to give heed. We need to perk up our spiritual ears and listen to what the Lord is saying. Look at verse 15. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. When the Holy Spirit came in, they all thought they were drunk. He said, they're not drunk. It's, it's, it's just, you know, two or three in the afternoon. They, they're, they'll be drunk at nighttime. It's not night yet. It's not even time for that. It's only the third hour of the day. These men are not drunk. And look what he says here in, in verse 16. He says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. This is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. It says, In the last days, God says, I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And it says, Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Hey, there's hope for the young and the old in the kingdom of God. And it says you're, you're going to begin to prophesy on your sons and daughters, meaning our children are going to be involved in the revival. The revival is not just for the adults, it's for the children. I want to see our children praying over people. I want to see our children speaking words of life over people. And I want to see our children in ministry working. It's not just the adult revival. It's, it includes our children. In the last days. How many of you would agree by raising your hand, we are in the last days. God says, I'm pouring out my spirit. I've made provision for this. He says, even on my servants and, and both men and women, both men and women. It's not just a man revival. It's a men and women. How many know men? We need the women. Everybody's involved. This covers everybody. The heart of God, it says, your young men will see visions and dream dreams and my bond slaves, men and women. In those days, I will pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Signs on the earth below. You see, this is the heart of God. So when we ask God to awaken our nation and to move in our nation, we're not asking God to, to do something as if it's not something He wants to do. He has already released it and He's already given that as His order and He wants us to tap into that and now we join with Him and we actually help usher in revival into our communities. I want to show you this in a powerful way. I will grant wonders in the sky above and on the earth below. Blood, fire, vapor, smoke... Uh, it says the sun will be turned into darkness, and this gets on into even into the end times. And it says, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Now look at verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The reason we want revival, the reason we want to get back to the book of Acts is so that people will be saved. You cannot have revival without salvations. When, when Nineveh was 
uh, damned, basically, and, and God wanted to rescue them, He sent a prophet to preach unto them so that they would believe. That's what revival is, is when people are saved and the, the, the fa- families are restored and God is moving in our community, in our area, in a very powerful way. So what will it take for us to see another great awakening? I want to give you five keys this morning <coughs> to real radical revival. This is some things the Lord dropped in my heart. Number one is prayer. If we're serious about seeing another great move of God in our day, God is not withholding His Spirit. His Spirit is bound up by humanism. His Spirit is bound up by legalism in the earth. His Spirit is restrained. We read in Mark chapter 6 that by doubt and unbelief, we can actually limit what God can do. The Bible says Jesus could do no great works in His own hometown because of doubt and unbelief. So I see the forces of heaven doing everything it can to to penetrate and let the Spirit of God flow and be released, but yet people get in the way. Religion gets in the way. And so we must pray. We must pray. Every great revival, every great move of God started with prayer. That's why all church prayer, which is this coming Wednesday night, is so important. That's why we have all church prayer is to open up an opportunity. But but one night a month is not going to do it. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to put us in position to usher in what God wants to do in our community. 1 Timothy 2.8 says this. It says, Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and decision. Meaning we've got to be free and, and walk in forgiveness. We can't. We can't be holding things against people and expect our prayers to have any effect. See, prayer is a powerful weapon. Prayer is a powerful... People say prayer changes things. I disagree with that. There's a lot of people that pray. There's a lot of religions that pray. It doesn't change anything. Prayer in faith in the name of Jesus Christ changes things. Prayer to, the, to, to God our Father through His Son Jesus and faith in His name and authority. That is what changes things. Prayer is a weapon. But prayer can be ineffective. So we must learn how to pray. We must pray that it is God's heart. We know that it is God's heart to awaken this city, this community, our schools, this nation. That's the heart of God. When we pray, we're giving voice and we're giving a mouthpiece to the heart and will of God. That's what prayer is. It's taking God's will and it's speaking it out and it's putting it in the atmosphere. So we must Pray. Many Americans are praying for a move of God. I'm not praying for a move of God. I'm praying for a move of God's people. God has moved and God wants to move in a great way in our nation. And so I'm not praying that God will wake up from his sleep and decide to to do something he's not already done. I'm praying that God will move and stir his people. I'm praying that the people of God go out and manifest and bring the kingdom of God to bear. Amen? I'm praying God's people move. So we got to pray. We've got to have a passion. We've got to have a zeal. We have to have an urgency. We're not going to see the end time revival. Churches in America are so stinking complacent. No wonder we don't, no wonder there's not much revival going on. I began to think under conviction this morning that we celebrate a church. We say, this church had 350 people born again this year. I mean, that's amazing. We didn't have that. We didn't have anywhere near that. But it's amazing to me that we now celebrate 350 people one to Christ in a year when the scripture says they added 3,000 in one day. So if they added 5,000 in a week, it was an off week because they were two, 3,000 a day. Now thank God for the 350 that were saved. I would love to be 
saying, hey, God used us to help 350 people be led to Christ. I honor that. But do you see how we have really lowered the bar on what God really wants to do? And it's not a condemning way. It's just a thought-provoking way. This morning I thought, we celebrate and honor churches that, that lead a hundred people to the Lord in a year. Thank God for that. I'm not demeaning what they do or what we do or what anybody else does. But they led people, people were committing to Christ daily and by the thousands. Well, that was then. Why can't that be now? Why can't we see that now? You, you read about Campus Crusaders for Christ and they would have one to two million people a night in South Korea show up at their events. Why do we limit what we think God can do in us and through us? Jasmine's not here, but she, she had to leave to go to work. But she came in, she said, Pastor James, I had a crazy dream last night. And I said, well, I have some crazy dreams. Tell me, we'll compare whose dream is crazier. Depends on what I've had for dinner, you know. She said, I dreamed we were in, a, in, in this huge auditorium, this huge building, and people were just coming in and coming in and coming in. And she said she had, she had 11 wireless microphones. That's how she thinks. She dreamed she had 11 wireless microphones. She, it, was a, it was a nightmare for her. You know, it's, it's, you know uh, Angela's dreaming, I had to vacuum all this floor. You know, <laughs> Mary's like, I had to make 72 pots of coffee. You see, God talks to us in our own language, praise the Lord. But she it was so real to her what she saw and what she felt. And I said, listen, I said, you hang on to that. Because I said, that, that may be from the Lord. Because I've had similar, not just aspirations. I'm not just, when we talk about we want to reach 10% of our city and our community, we're not just saying something to say something because it sounds good. We believe that that is a God-inspired vision. And we believe it can happen here in this community, in this city, with these families. I believe we can be the foundation and the nucleus of everything that God wants to do in this city. And I said, Jazz, you're going to love the sermon today. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about you. Now, was that from God? I mean, I'm not going to say if it was or wasn't. But man, I sure like the outcome of it. She wasn't dreaming that, Pastor James, I came in and there were two people here. I mean, you know, <laughs> I can almost guarantee you that's not from God. <laughs> I can guarantee you Satan didn't give her that inspiring dream. She could have just been her, but... But it, it, it's just exciting to know that God wants to use us in this time, at, in this point in history, to see a great awakening in our area. So we got to pray. Number two is plan. That's why Rick Mills is on staff. Can I have an amen? we got to plan. Because I, I like to, to pray and I like to dream, but how do you know somebody somewhere has got to plan something? <laughs> Somebody asked me something this morning. Like, I don't know. You have to ask Pastor Michael. I have no idea. But so, somebody has to plan. But not not only not only planning on our side, but more 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 along these lines. Yes, plan. But but more along this word, plan. This is what I sense the Lord putting in my heart this morning. The reason churches are not seeing revival, the reason churches are not seeing people born again, including even I'll lump us into that 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 vein, is because they have their own plan and not God's plan. What is God's plan? God's plan is people. God's plan is redeeming the lost and broken and hurting. God's plan is seeing disciples made. Jesus didn't say go out and just make converts. He said go make disciples. That's the plan of God. First, we have to get on board with God's plan. And I believe we are as a church. I believe we're aiming in that direction. God's plan is to, to win people to the Lord and be about the Father's business. And His God's plan is for humanity to supernaturally come to know the one true creator of heaven and earth. And then to disciple them. 
and to bring them along. God's plan is local missions. God's plan is global missions. God's plan is the harvest. Look with me at Luke 19, verse 10. we got to pray, and when we pray, we get the plan. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The, the Son of Man didn't come just to build great buildings. Thank God for buildings. But so many churches get put all their identity in just building a building. Thank God for buildings. We need air conditioning and we need heat. You agree with me on that? Thank God for buildings, but they're tools. They're, we've lost our focus in the American church where it's all about how big of a building you can build instead of how big of a, a church in the kingdom of God you're actually building. And so Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. What's the, what, what is the, the, the motive of Jesus? What's the, the marching orders of Jesus to seek and to save? What are we called? We are Christians. We're little Christ. That's the way Christians came about. They're Christians. They're little Christ. Now, you're not God. You understand that. If you don't believe me, just look in the mirror. <laughs> God doesn't need an assistant, and you're not it. You're not God. We understand. But Christians came about because they were little Christ. What did Christ come to do? Seek and save. How much energy are we putting into seeking and saving? Or are we putting all of our energy into keeping the fish happy that have showed up at our pond. Most churches, this is a stat, Mary. I want to use a number here, and I'm going to go low because I don't remember the exact number, but it was very high. Most churches spend 70 to 80 cents of every dollar keeping the fish happy that are already in the pond. Now, should we keep you happy? Sure. With my preaching, how could you not be happy? With Candy and Kaylee singing like that, how could you not be happy? But churches spend all their energy and resources on the people that are already in the building. And thank God for the people that are in the building. We want you to grow in your walk with God. We want to disciple you. But Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. That's the plan of God. We must plan now, Rick's going to like this, on discipling believers. When people are born again, if we experience this revival we're praying for and asking God for, what do we do with them? How many of you in the house have had a baby? Amen. How many of you took that baby home and just left it down and said, okay, good luck, now you're on your own? How many know it wouldn't go very well for you or the baby? We'd be visiting you in prison. That's called neglect. You don't bring a baby home and just leave it. You watch it day and night. You follow up, make sure what's going on. I mean, it's, it deserves all of your attention. Someone comes down and accepts Christ, and we pat them on the back and say, Praise God, spiritual baby. We'll see you next Sunday. <laughs> Hope it works out for you. We've got a plan now to disciple. Rick is working on that with us. Rick has a heart to disciple people. He's going to really lead that effort. And I don't, can't even describe to you exactly what it looks like, but it's going to be systematic. It's going to be methodic. It starts out with reading the Bible together throughout the year and praying and fasting and saying, God first. It's not me first. It's God first. We've got a plan now to follow God's plan, which is go and make disciples. Now, I put this here. This, this, this kind of hurts. But we need to be uncomfortable in our preparation and planning. Are we really planning for the great revival we believe God is releasing? Are we, are we really planning for the, the great awakening? If we are, then, then we do things differently today versus where we are. We, we do things as if we are actually getting ready for the future. 
How many of you, when you had that baby a couple of weeks before, a couple of uh, months before, you, you prepared a nursery? How many know you, you took away all the sharp objects out of your house? You had a beautiful little room, a beautiful little office, and it was just like you wanted. Oh, wait, that was me. <laughs> I had a beautiful office. But I gave up what I wanted, and I gave up my nice little space and my little office because we had a baby coming home. This is so, this is a true story that I have to tell you because it is really funny and it is really true. I was so excited when we had Ava. We were in a small little house, our first home, nice home, small. And, and I was so excited. I got the crib, got it unloaded, sat in the living room, put that thing together. I was so excited of just first baby. You know how it is. <laughs> when Tate was born, number four, like, I'll ah, just put a blanket on the floor, you know. <laughs> he don't need a crib. Just put a blanket on the floor. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how things change? But Rick, I was putting that crib together, and Rita came over, and she said, oh, what are you doing? I said, I'm putting the crib together for Ava. Look, here it is. It's beautiful. She said, I, I really, you know, Rita, she's never said a discouraging word in her life. You know, she said, that's my mother-in-law. She said, I, I don't want to be, you know, negative here, but she said, that's not going to fit in the door. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah. I said, what door? What? And she said, the bedroom door. I said, oh, it'll fit. It'll fit. You know, me, the eternal optimist, and it did not fit. So I had to take the thing apart. How many know now if I put cribs together? I've got it down now, praise the Lord. So PSA, public service announcement. If you have a baby, put the crib together in the room because it will not fit through the door. (laughs) But we plan. Do we act like a church that is expecting the harvest of souls? What if a hundred new people came to Christ in the next 30 days in our church? What Are we ready or are we going to... Hey, good luck, spiritual baby. Hope it works out for you. See you in seven days. What do we do? How do we, how do we plan for that? How do we prepare for that? We gotta be uncomfortable in our planning. We gotta be forward thinking in our planning. Number three. Placement. How many know it's all about alliteration? How many know alliteration is anointed? We must put ourselves in position for God to use us. We must, (coughs) excuse me, put ourselves in position for God to use us. That's why we're going through the Bible together in a year. That's why we're launching the fast. That's why we're launching spiritual disciplines all the way down through through our giving and our praying and our fasting because we're putting ourselves in a position for God to actually use us. Scripture says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole are seeking someone to show himself strong in. And what we're doing as a church is positioning ourselves. This requires humility. This requires holiness. You know, we got to live right. we got to live pure. The pure in heart will see God. Holiness, without it, no one will see the Lord. Honor. We have to learn to honor one another. If, if, if 80 of us can't get along, how are we ever going to get along when the harvest is here? Because we have 80 regenerated, born-again, spirit-filled Christians who love God and have grew up in this thing, and we ought to know how to get along. How are we going to handle it when the folks that don't know anything about church or anything about culture or have any manners, how are we going to handle it when they get saved? How are we going to handle it when the lady comes down front to give her testimony and she's cursing at us the whole time because that's all she knows? How are we going to handle it? It takes honor. It takes a holy pursuit of the things of God. Look at 2 Timothy 2 and verse 20. This is all about placement. We pray, we get the plan, then we we place ourselves. God is not going to 
magically pick us up and put us in place. We have to do our part. God does His part. He brings the increase. He can make things grow. But we must put ourselves in position. It's about placement. Now in a large house, I like this here, not in a tiny, you know, not in a shanty, but a large house. I like this verbiage. In a large house, they're not only gold and silver vessels, but they're vessels of wood and earthenware. Some to honor and some to dishonor. I'll leave that up to you, which ones are honored and dishonored. I think the honor is the ones you eat of and the dishonor are the ones you clean your hands after you go to the bathroom in. Amen? I'll let you decide which ones are which. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor. If anyone... Leave that back up. Go back. I'm sorry, Jared. If you can go back up. I want you to see this. Notice here. If God cleanses anyone from any of these things, he'll be a vessel of honor. Is that what it says? No. If anyone cleanses himself. Now, I can't forgive my own sins, but I can sure believe God to forgive me my sins, and then I can straighten up and fly right. I can straighten up and, 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 and follow God, and I can choose to walk in holiness. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself. So what, what is the price of being used by God? How much do we want God to use us? Do we want to be a vessel of honor? Therefore, if any man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor. Go on to the next slide. Go to the next screen. It says he'll be sanctified, useful for the Master. Prepared for every good work. What is God doing now? He's preparing us for every good work. It's all about placement. Look at verse 22. So we got to flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness. This is how we can be used by God, a vessel useful for the master. We must flee youthful lust. We must pursue righteousness. I love this. Look how much things he's saying to be for. Churches today are all about what they're against. We're against this and we're against that. Yes, we're against those things, but we are for a lot more than we are against. There's one thing that we're against in this, and look at all the things that we're for. We're against useful lust, but we're for righteousness. We're for faith. We're for love and peace. And all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart will be a vessel of honor will be placed in the hand of the Master. When God needs a tool, can He use me? Can He use you? Can He use our church? Number four, as we get ready to land this plane, is participation. So we pray, we get the plan of God, we begin to plan and strategize. And then participation. I, I did not read Proverbs 21.31, but it's, it's applicable and worth going back to. It says in Proverbs 21, 31, the horse is prepared for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. So our job is to prepare. God's job is to bring victory. Participation. God wants to partner with mankind in these great revivals. God wants, God does, and He always flows through men and women to see His kingdom come on the earth. Revival does not come from God. Now, I know that's a shocking statement. Revival comes from God through man. Every great move of God, God used a people to pray. God used a man or a woman. God used a, a human being to bring His revival to that nation, to that country. So revival alone does not just come from God. Revival comes from God. He's the author, but He funnels that through mankind. We're vessels useful for the Master's work. We've got to be a church ready and available for the Lord to use. Look at Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Let me prove this to you here. Jesus gave them commission. He said, as you go, preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. 
In the Greek language, it really actually reads, you heal the sick. Don't, you don't have to call me to come and pray for the stranger that you met who's sick and in the hospital. I will pray all day long, but you go and you heal the sick. You go and raise the dead. You have a family member that dies, don't you have to call me to come and get them up out of there. You just do your thing. You just raise the dead. I'll, yes, I'll pray with you. I'm not saying I won't pray. I'll always, I will pray with you if you believe that, that two or more agree, touching anything will be done. But don't expect me to just pray because you don't want to pray. Don't expect me, well, I don't have any faith, so I'll just have to get... You pray and believe God. God doesn't hear my prayers more than He hears yours. I'll pray and agree with you till the cows come home, wherever they come home to. I don't ever understood that. But don't ask me to pray with you if you think that God hears my prayers more than He hears yours because that is not the case. You have access to the Father just like I do. So you go, you preach, you say the kingdom of heaven is in. You heal, you raise the dead, you cleanse the lepers, you cast out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Look at Mark 16, 20. And they went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them. It's participation, guys. We're invited to participate in the kingdom of God. The Lord worked with them, confirmed His word with signs following. Luke 14, 23. I know you're not bored by scriptures, right? Luke 14, 23. The master said to the slave, go out to the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. The master didn't go out and say, come in. The master instructed the servant to go out and, and to compel. And we are the servants. So our job is to work and participate with the Lord. Last one, we close with this. We want the Lord to do it again. Look at number five. We read 200 years of history. Great men and women doing great things for the Lord. So we've got to pray, church. We have to plan like it's going to happen. We have to position ourselves. It's all about placement. Putting ourselves in position to be used by God. We have to realize that God participates with man. God's not going to do this on His own. He will work with us. He's not going to do it independent of a body. And then number five, the hardest one of all, is we've got to be willing to pay the price. There's tremendous cost for position, tremendous cost for planning, tremendous cost for placement, tremendous inconvenience. It costs our comfort, costs our convenience, our own wills and our desires. It takes commitment, but the reward is so great and so valuable. Look at Matthew 19 as we close this scripture out today. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you have followed me in this regeneration. When the Son of Man comes in the resurrection, He will sit on His glorious throne. You shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Look at verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for My name's sake shall receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. So we have to be willing to pay the price through prayer. We're not fasting and praying and reading the Bible to get God to love us more. God loves us so much. God's desire is for us to walk in His kingdom. That positions me to receive. When my, I have the blessings for my children. 
They get a, an allowance each month as finances are there. And so the blessing is already there. I've already set aside and said, I will give you this if you do this. At the end of the year, they get a financial reward. If they're good all through the school year, they have these little calendar things, these marks, you know, red and black and green and yellow and all that. And whatever the, I don't know, whatever, green is the best. As long as they stay on green the whole year, at the end of the year, they get a financial reward. And I tell them that in August so they know what's coming, so they know what to look forward to. And it motivates them. I've already released the blessing for them. It's my will for them to get the financial reward. I want to bless my children. But it's up to them to behave. I cannot go to school and behave for them. Can I have a good amen from all the parents? I feel the spirit this morning on this. I can't make them honor their teacher there. I can't be there every moment. So daddy has set my will and, and told them, I even told them my will. It wasn't a mystery. They know if you do this, you get this. It is up to them to keep their self in position to receive the blessing. So I'm not fasting and praying and reading the Bible and all these things, giving, sacrificing, because I'm hoping to get God to do these things for me. God has given me His Word. He's already given me His will. This is how I behave. This is how I put myself in position to receive all that God has given me. My heart is that the Lord will do it again. Is that the Lord will do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Close your eyes with me.